Welcome to Harrison Church. We're excited to announce a new way to communicate at Harrison. Realm is a digital tool designed to connect our church with its members. Contact your small groups, coordinate group activities, RSVP to church events, manage your giving, and much more. You can visit onrealm.org to sign up. Realm will officially launch in mid-February. This week, Pastor Shane finishes up his series on Revelation with Part 6. Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, this is uh, for those of you who've been with us the last uh, three weeks, you're probably sick and tired of hearing this uh, advertisement. But the good news, though, is next week we are going to officially launch this new communications tool that's called Realm. And uh, we've already been using it among some people in the church, and it's been wonderful because people have been able to mail their groups or text their groups. And we've done prayer requests. We've, we've prayed for each other. It's really going to be a great tool. And uh, so next week, we're going to do a formal launch. And uh, you will receive an invitation by email to be a part of the realm, to get into the realm. And if you don't get an email from us, that means you've either been spammed, you've got to check your spam box, or we don't have your correct email address. But we do believe that the more of us that opt into this, this is going to be a great way to streamline all the ways we have communicated with each other. Instead of it coming in different channels, it'll come through the Realm app. Uh, and I, I suspect there might be a few glitches along the way for the next couple of weeks. I've been joking with other people. Hopefully it's not like healthcare.gov from a few weeks, years ago. Uh, never. Some of you get that. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. This, this will be a great, uh, great uh, tool for us in the church. And, uh, well, today uh, is, is our last... Uh, sermon series uh, or sermon uh, in our series that we've been doing on Revelation. Someone said it's been a fireside chat. That's interesting. Or a, a kind of a lecture series. And uh, I, I, hope, I hope that you've really learned some things and that John has inspired you. I pray that you've been challenged by uh, the book. And uh, it's kind of sad to see it go. But uh, next week, we're going to kind of uh, resume our regularly scheduled programming. And what I'm uh, doing next week, people have already asked, like, what's the next thing in the pulpit? And what I thought we would do is, it's the season of Lent. This coming Wednesday is the, the, the start of Lent, and we will have an Ash Wednesday service, so you can look kind of odd uh, with your uh, ash on your forehead. But John actually would be happy with that because you're coming out of the empire, um, looking strange. But uh, next Sunday, and for the next few Sundays, I thought, you know, at Lent, we're, we're always thinking about or acknowledging our sins. And I thought, well, why don't we just talk a little bit about, like, the big sins? Like, you ever heard of the deadly sins before? You ever heard of this? You know, and it's not necessarily out of the Scriptures, but it's there. And some people have already said, like, when are you preaching on X? And I'm like, you can't tell me that because now I know what you suffer from. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you. You know, you just have to come. So that's what we'll do uh, after, the, after this Sunday. But this Sunday... We're going to bring our, our lecture series, our teaching series on Revelation to a close. And what I've said every week is that Revelation is a letter. How many churches? Seven. Written by a guy named? And it is a letter of political resistance. And what John wants the Christians to do is resist nonviolently, 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 the trappings, the allure, the power of the empire, the imperial ideology. Which empire is he referring to? The Roman Empire. See, you guys are scholars already of this book. Um, and so, uh, but it's not just Rome. It could apply to any time. But John is speaking specifically to the Roman Empire. And that is why last Sunday we looked at what I believe is the central message, the central verse of the entire work, 18 for 
come out of the empire to my people. Come out, Christians, of the empire so that you do not partake in the empire's sins. Live differently. Opt out. Wear a mark of, you know, on your forehead. We'll, we'll get into all that. The ashes and baptism. But to live differently. And that John is calling the churches to live according to the way of an alternative empire. God's empire. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. Whose ruler is the lamb. That was what? Slain. And so John really does see the Christian life as being plunged into a battle. A battle for our imaginations, a battle for our loyalties. And, for, and John is saying to the Christians throughout this letter, but if you can keep the faith, if you can maintain your loyalty to Christ, even if it costs you everything, even if you suffer, you're going to reign with Christ when he returns. And Jesus is going to return. History is headed somewhere. There is going to be kind of an end of history, and so that's what we're going to look at now. If you have an insert, uh, maybe you have uh, one of these, you can kind of follow along. We don't have as many verses to look at today. Uh, and then at the end of this time, I'm going to kind of try to sum up you know, what I think are the main themes of the book for your, your personal edification. But let's look at, at some of the final visions of John. Uh, look at uh, chapter 20, verse 11. You may be able to follow along behind me here on the screen. Uh, John says this, and I saw a great white throne, throne's an important word in Revelation, a great white throne and the one who sat on it, and it ain't Caesar. Now skip to verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, before the throne, and books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done. If you got your notes or your Bible, circle that phrase, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and all were judged according to what they had done. Now skip to verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Lovely image there as well. Now, uh, what, what's going on here is that we're coming to the great reckoning of history. We're coming to who it really exercises final authority over all things. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus, the Lamb. Right? Jesus is not just Savior. He's not just Redeemer. He's Judge. He's Judge over all things. And some of you may know the Apostles' Creed. He shall come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is Judge. Now, this is something that we don't tend to talk about, especially, I guess I can say this, in kind of the mainline liberal Protestant congregations, Methodists, Presbyterians, the judgment of God. We, we just kind of minimize this, but I think we do that at our own peril. We want God to judge because if God does not judge, then there is no justice, is there? There is no final say over all the evil that has happened. There's no reckoning for all of that. It's not pleasant. It's not necessarily a comforting thought. But you know, in the Bible, the judgment of God, especially if you read the Psalms, they wanted God to judge. Oh, Lord, come, you judge inequity, you judge inequality. This is something that they anticipated. Why? Because in judgment, God is going to put to right all the wrongs of the world. Do you want that to happen? Yes. We need God to judge. Uh, and, and so I know it's not a, a pleasant thought, but, but this is, is what God shall do. And, of course, for Christians, for those of us who follow the Lamb, uh, there are places in the New Testament that say we should have confidence in judgment. Why? 
Because the one who's going to judge us is the lamb that was slain. I mean, the one who died for us. The one who died for you. Your judge is your Savior. Do you see? It can be our hope. Now, what I want us to look at before we really move on is the basis of God's judgment. Um, John says in verse 12 and 13 that God is going to judge all of us according to what? According to what we had done. Now, some uh, translations have according to our works. This is another thing that we have to kind of hold out. The New Testament, and it's not just Revelation, the New Testament is clear that we are, when we stand before God, we are going to give an account for our works, what we have done. Now, the non-Catholic tradition, we kind of rose up against this idea that you can work your way to salvation, and that is true, but it's not to say that works don't matter. It's not to say that how we live our life doesn't matter. It does matter. We will all give an account for how we lived out what we said we believed. John would not have any tolerance for this idea of saying, well, you know, I, I went to confirmation class, you know. I, 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 I said that little sinner's prayer at youth camp. That was cool. You know, what, what matters for John is like, what, what's your life, how is your life responding to the grace of God. Did you, did, did, do, do your actions line up with the actions of the Lamb? Do, do, is your way of life consistent with the way of Jesus? All right, so, so this, this matters. You know, so John, as you can tell here, John does not believe all dogs go to heaven. All right, there, there, there are two books, and, and only those who are written in the book of life will participate in God's new world. And in the context of Revelation, those written in the, the book of life are those who did what? There are those who resisted. There are those who followed the way of the Lamb, who maintained their loyalty to the way of the Lamb. Not just, you know, head knowledge. I, I believe that this happened to Jesus up here, but those who really lived it out and were consistent, maybe they suffered from it. Um, maybe one way for me to put this for you. I think this is consistent with John's understanding of salvation. And I'm going to come back to this, is that Revelation teaches this. John is teaching this, that we are saved by allegiance alone. We are saved by allegiance to Christ alone. So when you're loyal to someone, your life is going to look like it. So it's not just head knowledge. It's not just an intellectual thing. But John understands that we are saved by our allegiance, our loyalty, our faithfulness to Jesus and to his way. We are saved by that. Remember how the Christians are called an army? The 144,000 is an army? You know, if you're in an army, you better pay attention. You better do the orders of your general, right? It's your allegiance. So we are saved in John's understanding by allegiance alone. It's still grace. Jesus has opened it up. But you've got to, you know, we've got a response. We want to be loyal. We want to look loyal to his manner of life. And then in chapter 21, John goes on to show us what awaits the loyalists, what awaits the lamb loyalists of history. So, and I've preached on this a few times, but in chapter 21, verse 1, beautiful vision. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I'm coming back to that. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming where? Down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his 
peoples. And here in chapter 21, we see now at long last the answer to the petition of the Lord's Prayer when we pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to notice the direction. I pointed this out before because I've preached on this. Notice the direction. Where's heaven coming? Down. Down. It's not us going up. It's heaven coming down. God's world coming here. Someone called this a rapture in reverse. By the way, there's no rapture in Revelation, but you, know, you can email me about that. And no antichrist either. That's another thing I couldn't talk about. But no, it's, it's heaven coming down. The ultimate hope of the faith, of the Christian faith, the ultimate final hope of the New Testament is not us going up. It's, it's God coming down. It's the abode where God dwells coming to earth where we see at long last a new creation. This world renewed. This world restored. This earth brimming over at long last with the presence of God, just saturated. This is the ultimate heaven, uh, ultimate vision. God will dwell with, with us. In other words, Revelation does not teach the end of the world. Don't believe that. John's an REM fan. John teaches the end of the world as we know it, but not the end of the world. What will end are the forces of death and violence. Uh, some people get tripped up uh, in the first part, and I saw the first earth pass away, and they think, well, what that means is that God's going to just ball up the, the earth and throw it into the dustbin of history. No, 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 no. The first things are the things as, as we know it. Right, the imperial forces of death, uh, the powers of death, the cultures of death. I mean, just death is all around. Evil seems to always win out. But John is saying, no, the day is coming when that will not be the case. These things shall be no more. John calls it the new Jerusalem, right, the city of God. Now, John, is lo he loves to contrast images in this book. We've seen some of his contrast. All right, so there's the lamb. And who can we contrast the lamb with? What other creature? The beast. Or there's the harlot. And John contrasts the harlot with the bride of Christ. There's the book of death, and then there's the book of... There's the new Jerusalem, the city of God, and that is to be contrasted with what city? Rome, or what he calls it, Babylon. Babylon, the place that had killed and murdered. That's John's vision. And so when, when John's talking about the new Jerusalem, we don't want to imagine like Atlantis coming out of the sky. You know, wow, it, it is, it's God, all the cities of this world become as if it's God's city. And what does God do in verse 4? God comes to dwell with us, and what does he do? He wipes away the tears. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things, right, have passed away. What John is meaning here in context is that all the systems that cause death, you know, the wars, everything, that calls death and pain and sorrow will be wiped out. They have no place in God's coming new world. That's why John says the sea was no more. Uh, some people do take that literally. Never take Revelation literally. You've got to read it symbolically. But some people are like, you mean to tell me there's no Myrtle Beach in the new creation? No, no. What came out of the sea in Revelation chapter 13, if you can remember? 
the dragon, the beast came out of the sea. The forces of evil came out of the sea. What else was happening on the sea in chapter 18? Remember the trade commerce where some people were being really exploited you know, at, the, at the expense of many, few were benefiting of it? What John is saying is not like God's going to get rid of the Atlantic Ocean, like Hawaii is going to go no more. No surfing in the kingdom of God. No, what he's saying is that the forces of evil, the powers of evil are no more because they came out of the sea in John's vision. It's a place of chaos. Chaos will be no more. The point is that the Bible's ultimate vision here is not us dwelling with God in heaven. It is ultimately all people, the followers of the Lamb, dwelling, God dwelling with us here in this world. Um, does that make sense, at least in the context here? It may open up some questions for you. Email me if you have them. Uh, John does stress this point again in verse 15. I just want to look at this very briefly. If you look at uh, verse 15, you will see that John is measuring something. See that measuring rod? He sees an angel measuring something. Now, you may recall that I said that John scoops out of the Old Testament how many times? Does anybody remember the number? Over 500 times. John's scooping out of the Old Testament here right out of the prophet Ezekiel. If you go to the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees a vision of an angel measuring something. And the angel is measuring, in Ezekiel's vision, the temple of God. And it's the dwelling place, right? The temple in Israel was the dwelling place of God. John sees an angel measuring here. It's like a, excuse me, it's like a temple, but it's bigger. If you go on to read these verses, I'll just sum it up for time's sake. John sees the angel measuring as if it's the entire creation. The entire creation is becoming a temple of God. The whole world is becoming the dwelling place of God. And that is why John says in verse 22, And I saw no, what? Temple. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. You don't need a temple. When the whole earth, the whole creation is going to be brimming over, with the presence of God. The city had no need of sun or moon. Don't take that literally. It's just that the light's going to come from its primary source. The Lamb and the glory of God. The whole earth, new creation, will be a sanctuary of praise. And John spells out what that will mean when this earth is at long last saturated and become the dwelling place of God. In verse 24, John says, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory in it. The nations, see that? Circle nations. Its gates will never be shut by day. That's what nations do. They shut their gates. They want to keep people out. But not this gate. And there'll be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I mean, imagine this. The nations once dominated by the empire. And the kings in Revelation that once were in partnership with the ways of the empire. That will not be the case at all. There will be partnerships between the nations. There will be peace treaties signed. We will see all the nations of the world 
becoming, what God intended them to be. Now, the word, I want to point this out. There's the word glory in there. The people will bring their glory into it. Ah, There's a better translation of that, and some of you may have it. Uh, The word that we use for glory, it could be translated wealth. People will bring into it the wealth of the nations. (laughs) Was that Adam Smith? Didn't he write something called the wealth of nations? Anyway, here we have the wealth of the nations, and that's another contrast. Remember in chapter 18, God judged the commerce, the commercial system for exploiting, that people were benefiting. There was a lot of wealth generated at the expense of human lives, but here we see everybody, all the nations of the world, bringing their wealth to it, and now we're not harming each other. The nations aren't using profit to harm. It's to lead to the flourishing. Profit will, can lead to the flourishing of the whole creation. John sees like salvation is almost universal. We see this again in chapter 22, verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of this city, you know, God's city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, another reference to the Old Testament. What's the tree of life referring to? Genesis, Eden. Yeah, and what's interesting is that the Bible begins with a garden, ends with a city. But this tree of life is in this city. And John says, with 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Not just your soul. Not just yourself. Not just your family. God wants to heal and restore the nations of the world. Yeah, could you imagine? Iraq. Afghanistan, Russia, America, Madagascar will be healed from the strife, the fear that has so long dominated our understanding of one another. They will be healed. We will live in mutual trust. And this is also important. I mean, God actually wants all the nations of the world to be there. Um, the, The thing about empires throughout history is that all empires want one language, one culture, one way of doing things, the way of the empire's way of doing things, but that's not God's way. God wants one Lord over all creation, but multiple expressions of it. Peoples of different languages, different cultures will be in this new world. Just a marvelous vision. And then the final benediction that we see in verse 7, John hears The lamb sitting on the throne saying, see, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, blessed are those who keep the faith. Blessed are those who take seriously what I've been talking about. Blessed are those who resist (laughs) nonviolently the forces of evil, the ways of destruction, and live in loyalty to the lamb who will be the ruler over all history. And that's the end of the story. That's where history is going. Wonderful vision. What I thought I would do, and i I got a few minutes I'll just take to do this, is um, this is just a marvelous book. I, I tried to think of, like, what are the main themes of Revelation? And I came up with 15 main themes not going to cut it. 
But I narrowed it down to five. And what I thought I would do, for those of you who would like to, you know, take this home, and next time you read this, I hope you will read it without fear <laughs> uh, and, and with some understanding now and, and, and some themes that I hope will guide your understanding of what John really is about. And uh, I've got these, if, if you, for those of you students here who love to do this, on the back of your sermon, uh, your, your verses of Scripture, um, there are some sentences here, and I'm going to la- allow you to fill in the blanks, class. I was trying to do a word search, but it didn't work out. But these are the main themes uh, that I think really encapsulate what John's about. And remember, John's a, he is just radical. He really is. And uh, there are some things that John says that Paul would disagree with, I think. You know, but we've got to take John seriously. And, but the first main theme of Revelation, I think the theme that really encompasses the entire letter is that, and I've already re- referred to this, is that salvation is through what? Salvation is through allegiance to Christ alone. Salvation is through allegiance to Christ uh, alone. Um, you know, John is warning the churches over and over again that out there in the world, man, there's a battle going on, and it's a battle for your loyalty. It's a battle for your allegiance, and, and there are forces at work, and you've got to really pay attention to this and how they work. There's propaganda. There's all these things, and that we as the Christians, we as the followers of the Lamb, we are called to live in a different, a, a different kind of loyalty. We are to live according to a different empire, right? the, the empire of God. You know, and, and, and so we, to maintain that allegiance could mean suffering. It, it could mean pain. You, you will be rejected for this. But if you do that, if you are allegiant to the way of the one who truly sits on the throne, who's truly the final authority over the world, then you shall reign with him. That's the first thing. Number two, uh, Revelation teaches that baptism is the mark of a new identity that transcends all nations, all races, and all ethnicities. Now, this goes back to uh, what you find in the apocalyptic writing. John, is, it's either or. Either in, you're out. And in Revelation, there are only two kinds of people. There are those who have on their forehead the mark of God, And then there are those who have the other mark, the mark of the what? The mark of the beast. So we're going to mark you on the forehead on Wednesday. But what John is saying is that baptism, that's a clear reference to baptism. To be baptized in John's understanding means you have been immersed, you have been marked, you have a new identity that is not tied to your place of birth. Your identity now is tied to your place of new birth. The church. John John profoundly challenges how Christians should understand themselves whatever country they live in. I mean, think of it this way. Think of the phrase American Christians or Christian Americans. John would ask us, which of those two words has more importance for you, the Christian or the American? Because your real identity is not in any country in which you reside now. It's, It's in your baptism. And and in the country of your baptism, the the empire of God in your baptism, this is a country, this is an empire that contains people of all nations, all tongues, all ethnicities, all. Those are your people now, not what's on your census. Your census is baptism, okay? So this new identity. 
That's the second thing. Third, John believes the church, that's us, exists to be a counter-cultural alternative to the value systems of the empire. Come out, come out, come out. That's John's central message. Live differently, live differently, live differently. You are called to live through your baptism according to a set of different values. You are called to be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, and that does not mean just talking about Jesus. That means living in such a way that your way of life is consistent with the Lamb's way of life in the world. You are called to live by gentleness, love, mercy, Nonviolence, generosity, hospitality, that's your act of resistance against any forces or powers that say, no, it's violence and it's fear and it's hoarding and it's scarcity. That's how we're supposed to live. John does not see that at all. You are called to be countercultural, and if you can live that way, you will be a witness to the different way. John does not, I don't think John would want you to kind of like, let's all go live like the Amish did. You know, and kind of have a little commune. No, we're, we're called to come out with where we are. You know, we're to live within the world differently. I, I hope that makes sense. But that's what we're called to be. Okay, fourth, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the musicians to come, go ahead and come forward while we're uh, summing up. Uh, Revelation teaches that faithful witnesses of Jesus live by lamb power. If you read Revelation rightly, Revelation presents a scathing critique of unchecked nationalism, militarism, unchecked commerce without morality, unchecked consumption, all of these things. What John is saying throughout this letter is that, you know, the rampant kind of militaristic, all this stuff, that, that's, that will not stand. That will not last. And, and for John to be a baptized Christian, called to live the alternative, uh, means to live by another power. We are, to, we are called to live according to the non-dominating power of the Lamb. The Lamb doesn't dominate. We're called to live by love. Non-dominant Love And I do think that Revelation is, really presents us a, a radical question. That, that do you, as, as Kyle prayed, do you really believe that suffering love, do you really believe that the love of Christ, that suffering love is truly the most powerful force in the universe? Or do you think something else is? It's a profound critique of that. So John promises that those who live by the non-dominant love of Christ, who live differently like that, man, that's, that's true freedom. That's, that's our true identity. We will be the true conquerors of history. And remember, the conquerors in Revelation are those who kept the faith, even if it cost them everything. And fifth and finally, and I will end here, Revelation stress, stresses that the outcome of history is assured. We are headed somewhere. The world shall come to the time when Jesus shall reign over it as Lord. And that means we can be faithful to this Lord, even if it kills us. Why? He'll just raise you from the dead. He's just going to raise you from the dead. 
and grant you a share in God's new world. So it's really a call. Since we know that history and the outcome of history is assured, we can live faithfully according to the ways of the Lamb. One day, and this is right out of Revelation, <laughs> chapter 11, the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope that you enjoyed today's message, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Shane's series on the book of Revelation. For more information, visit harrisonchurch.org.